Well, welcome back to our in-depth look at Mark's Gospel, looking at the words, the ways and the works of Jesus. So let's, before we get into this message and exploring the Bible found in Mark's Gospel, let us just pray together. Let's just centre ourselves and let's bring ourselves back into this moment to hear God speak to us. So let's just pray. A gracious, loving God, we just give you thanks for this time. We give you thanks that we can be here together that we can come and share together in worship, even though we may be separated physically. But Lord, we ask that you come and your Holy Spirit be upon us. Open our hearts, our minds to your leading in our lives. Your leading through your word found in the Bible. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, we're in the uh, second week within our series looking at... um, the words, the ways and the works of Jesus, which is actually, we're actually doing an in-depth look at the Gospel of Mark. So this week, last week we had a look at the introduction uh, about how Jesus is the Son of God. This week we're going to be having a look at the little next section within in Mark's Gospel in chapter 1, which we've just had read for us. But I, I, I want us to kind of just pause for a moment and I want us to think before we go too far I want you to think of what is your favorite action movie now I know some of you don't actually like action movies some of you do but what's your favorite one Star Wars the Avengers Mission Impossible Spider-Man Transformers you know there's all sorts of different ones lots of them Uh, I won't I won't say which one's the best ones out of that, because we might end up in an argument right here and now, but, um, but there are lots of things. But there's one thing that you'll notice about um, action movies, is that they move from one action-packed scene to another action-packed scene to another action-packed scene. It moves and, you know, the scene goes from, you know, fighting here, car chase there, another fight here, gun battle there, whatever it might be, jumping from one moment to one moment to one moment. That's kind of like reading Mark's gospel for us. It doesn't kind of sit too long in any one thing. He, he really pushes into the next moment, into the next piece of action, the next thing. So in Mark's gospel, you can think like an action movie. And that's kind of how we want to kind of think it for ourselves. He's not trying to dwell deep on any one moment, but he wants to show how Jesus interacted with the world, with the community, what he did, what were the big things he did. So let's set the story so far as though we're sitting in a movie. So far, Mark has proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this is a big thing. He said Jesus is the Son of God, and he's been baptised by John the Baptist. God proclaims that Jesus is his loved son, and following that, then Jesus is tempted in the wilderness And then he goes on to Galilee, and that's all within the first 15 verses. So, you know, not too many lines of of text there to go into that. And that's the first scene. And this one just jumps straight out of where Jesus is teaching in the Galilee. So let's just jump into it and let's just have a quick look at what happens. So one day, as Jesus was walking along, notice the words that Mark uses, one day, so it's just like the next thing, the next moment, the next thing that's happening. One day, as Jesus is walking along, 
the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Now we need to understand Simon, and this is where it gets complicated for us. Simon is Peter. Jesus renames him, and in the Gospel of Mark, he calls him Peter from there on. But he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. For they, were, they, were, they fished for a living. And then Jesus called to them and said, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. So a little further later, you know, just a little further on, so next, you know, come and follow me, be my disciple. Then a little further on he sees the, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, in a boat, repairing their nets, and he calls them the same thing. And they follow and leave their father, Zebedee, with the hired hands in the boat. So this is the first scene, and it's got some really important things for us to, to actually understand. But I want to ask you the question, what have you picked up just hearing that? Just what, what jumps out to you right at this moment? When Jesus is calling the first disciples... We can kind of, you know, they're, like they're, big, they're the big three disciples, the close friends of Jesus. It was Peter, Simon, James and John, and they were the first three called. Andrew gets in there, but he's not the, the top three, the top th friends of Jesus. But Jesus calls these men, and notice this, while they were doing their everyday activity, and he calls them to become a disciple, Someone who listens to the words of Jesus, someone who watches the way of Jesus and what he does, and someone who has witnessed the works of Jesus. And then they tell others the words of Jesus, they show them the way of Jesus, and they explain the great works that Jesus has done to them. That's a disciple in a nutshell for us, isn't it? A disciple in the nutshell. For today, for today, to be a disciple is to hear the words of Jesus. And when we hear the words of Jesus, we hear it in the Bible, we hear it in our prayer time, we hear it when we come together in, in church and we hear the message. To be a disciple for us today is to hear the words of Jesus as, as they speak into our lives and the lives of those around us and into the community. To be a disciple today is to imitate the ways of Jesus in our life, not to leave what has been written in the Bible, just back in the Bible times, but to actually really apply it to ourselves, to live out the patterns of life that Jesus showed us to his own disciples. And, but we need to translate that into our modern lives. And to be a disciple for us today is to know the works of Jesus, to know his saving grace for our lives, to know the saving grace for all the world, and to explain, to embody, to show this to those people around us, to show what it means that we have been saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to show the great works, how do our lives work that out. So we've got the first call of the disciples here. And there are a couple of interesting things I really want you to kind of take note of. 
The first is, is that, as I said, that Jesus calls the disciples out of the everyday. Jesus calls everyday people. Fishermen. Tax collectors, as we'll hear later on in the gospel accounts. Everyday people. Not super spiritual special people. Not theologically trained before you can be called out to be a disciple. Everyday people doing everyday things in the simple life of the, that we all live. Secondly, the call that Jesus gives is about life change. See, Jesus is calling these people, he calls those, those four people, Simon and Andrew, James and John, he calls them to be more than they are at the moment. He calls them to a change in life. The first part is come, that's the call to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Come and be involved in what's going on. There's, a, there's an invitation and there's an invitation to do something, follow me. So in other words, listen to the words I'm saying, watch the things I'm doing and tell everybody about what happens. Come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, some, you know, and the translation that we've been using and we've been using in the church is the New Living Translation, and it translates how to fish for people. But that kind of thinks it's, it's, it's great translation, but it misses a little element of it that I want you to kind of understand for yourselves. It's not about an activity. It's actually about who you are, your persona, your, your basis of who you are. It's about your very being, your embodiment of what it means to fish for people. Some translation actually puts it in to be a fisher of people. So in other words, it's an embodiment. It's not an action. You don't go out and fish for people. You actually, the whole thing about you is to make this further disciples. You as a disciple make other disciples. This is a, a major life change for us because it actually... You know, if we think about our own lives in this instance for a moment, the call is to everybody. The call that Jesus makes is come, and that is to everyone. The call is to come and follow Jesus, the ways, the words, and the works of Jesus, to actually follow in those footsteps. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what the call Jesus is placing in our lives. And it's bigger than that because that then goes out. You need to embody the words and the ways of Jesus in your life. You need to embody them, make them a part of you so that they are just ingrained into you, that you don't have to think about it, it just happens. That's what it really means for just to be so in tune with what Jesus has for us that we just go about and do it. And we bring other people to hear the same message. We come out and we call others to come and follow Jesus Christ. Not come follow Simon, not come follow anybody out there, but come follow Jesus Christ. It's a massive life change. But above all of this, going through all of this, what Mark shows us is that Jesus' call on people to be a disciple and call in that particular point has authority. 
Jesus' call has authority. The response of Simon and Andrew was immediate and complete. They left their nets and they followed him. You know, they're busily going on about their way and, oh, yeah, why not? You know, there's a sense of authority. Somebody says, come and follow me, and you go and do it. What does that mean? It means that that person has authority over you and you are putting your trust in that person to lead you where you need to go. James and John also did exactly the same thing. They followed immediately. There was authority in Jesus that Simon and Andrew, James and John, responded to that authority with immediate action to follow Jesus. See, our next scene that we had, that we just read beforehand, shows us the authority that Jesus has. You know, (coughs) here is what um, Mark is trying to show us. That Jesus has authority over people's lives and he has authority over the spiritual realm. He has authority over all those things. So here he is. Jesus and his companions then went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, so when it was church time, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real, what, what was it? He taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious laws. And then suddenly, I love Mark, he just jumps straight into it. And another suddenly action-packed straight in there, action movie kind of stuff. Suddenly a man jumps up in the synagogue. No, he doesn't have a gun. He's not about to kill anybody, but he is trying to draw them away. And the man in the synagogue who is possessed by an evil spirit cries out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here you go. This evil spirit has proclaimed who Jesus is, which Mark did right in the very beginning, that you are the Son of God, the Holy One. But Jesus then reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. And amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what's happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It, is, it has such what? authority so not only authority in the words that Jesus say authority in the realms that Jesus is in control of even evil spirits obey what Jesus says and then the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout all the entire region of Galilee see I love it how Mark does this how Mark records the teachings of Jesus He records that people were amazed at his teaching. That there's the words that Jesus had when he was interpreting the scriptures, teaching about what God had planned for all of the world. You see, that's what you would do. That's what they were doing in the synagogue was that they'd, they'd open up the scroll, they'd read it, and then someone would explain what it meant. And so Jesus is doing that but he's doing it with authority. He's talking about what Jesus has for us. So we need to kind of understand that for our lives, that Jesus, as we read his words in the Bible, 
shows us with authority what God wants for our lives. So how could you not be a Christian without getting into the Bible at all? You can't because there's the words of Jesus, the authority of Jesus on our lives found right in there. Jesus is full of authority. He calls people to be disciples. He has authority in his words that he teaches. And, and, you know, that just humbles me whenever I think about this. You know, here I am, just a small part of, of a big thing called the Christian church. But I don't think I have anywhere near the authority in the words I say. I think... Maybe what I I, I can do is express a little bit of that authority, the authority that God comes and places upon us. And we especially do this when we commission people to go and be missionaries, when we commission people to be um, involved in councils of the church, when we commission people to be preachers or to be, you know, pastors. We commission them with authority. And the authority is not on our own, it's the authority of God been placed upon us to go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all the world. And that's where the authority comes. It's not within government, not within powers, not within a persona, but it's the authority of God, of Jesus Christ working through us as we go and do this. So we know where Jesus' authority comes from. Remember, very back at the very part, first part of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus proclaimed as the Messiah, the Son of God. This is where the authority of Jesus comes from. And that's where we gain our authority when we preach in the name of Jesus and when we teach in the name of Jesus and when we do great works in the name of Jesus. So as we start to explore the words, the ways and the works of Jesus through Mark's Gospel, we see that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the one who is long awaited, the one who will change the world. But we also see that Jesus is the one who has authority over heaven and earth, over life and death, over all these things and over our lives. Jesus has authority over our lives. So what I want, I want us to do right now is I just want us to take a moment just to pray together. I know we're in different places, but I want to pray for Jesus' authority on your life. I want you to know the authority Jesus has on your life and to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to follow him in all the ways of our lives. So let's just pray. Let's just ask God to come into this moment and that Jesus' authority will be upon us. A gracious, loving God, we just give you thanks for this moment. We give you thanks for the word, your word, found in the Bible, found in Mark's gospel, that you called disciples and you have never stopped calling disciples to come and follow you and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. If we are struggling with what it means to be a disciple, if we are struggling to follow Jesus, Help us understand the authority that Jesus has placed upon our lives. Help us understand the authority he gives to us as he calls us. But in this, always let us know that the ultimate authority in all of this, in all of our lives, is Jesus Christ. My Lord, we give our lives to you. May your call in our life be answered by 
I will follow you. I will be your disciple. Wherever you send me, however you send me, in whatever way, I ask that you lead us, you guide us, and you sustain us. Amen.